This morning, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 17, if you want to grab your Bible and open it up there. Uh, one day, I'd like to preach a series of messages on virtues that we as a nation seem to be losing. I'm not preaching that message, but maybe one day the Lord will help me to put that together and give me the okay and we'll do that. But, uh, but uh, today I want to speak about one of the most ignored and forgotten of all Christian and all life virtues. And you can probably figure out what it is this time of year. It's gratitude. It's gratitude. How many of you know we live in a selfish, very self-centered, demanding, and ungrateful world? Have you figured that out? And, and you know what? It makes life unappetizing and it makes life cruel. It makes life harsh. And this Thursday, we have a national holiday set aside that has, that has been almost completely lost in the shuffle between Halloween and Christmas. And I'm here to say this, and, and, and maybe I'm a little grumpy about it, but I want you to understand it is not Turkey Day. It is not football day. I love turkey. I love football. It is neither one of those days. It is, it is not a day to kick off Christmas shopping. That's not what the day is about. It is a day of thanksgiving. It's a day when we as a nation take stock of the many, many blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And then we pause to give him thanks. Thursday, this coming Thursday is supposed to be all about gratitude. So I want you to read for me with me from uh, Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. This is a story that all of you've heard is probably being preached on all over the nation today uh, because it's such a powerful uh, uh, lesson about giving thanks. Uh, but let's read it together. Luke 17, 11. As Jesus went to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And, and because the priest was the one who would clear them uh, to go back home if they were ever, if they were cured from leprosy. And he said to them, go sh show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. That's a whole different message there about how God moves when we act in, in faith on his word. Uh, verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God. There's another part of it right there. People that, that, that you know, afraid to, to worship the Lord loudly. You don't have to be loud, but don't, don't be upset if anybody gets loud when they worship God. Uh, somebody once said, uh, talking about Pentecostals, he said, you Pentecostals are, 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 are so loud. He said, don't you know, God's not hard of hearing. And I had a pastor friend that looked at him and said, that's true, but he's not, he's not nervous either. <laughs> so anyway, that's a whole different, different message. Verse 16. Uh, well, let's verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with, with a loud voice, glorifying God and fell down on, on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, we're not the 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Were there not any found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Would you pray together with me? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you today for meeting us in this place. I thank you for your many, many blessings, for your great faithfulness that's never ending. And God, I believe that you had a plan for this day before any of us ever even thought about it. And, and God, I pray that you will speak to us here today, in, deep in our innermost being, speak to us past the level of our emotions and past the level of our intellect. 
Speak to us deep in our inner man, Lord God. And, and I pray, God, that you would not only speak to us, but God, that you would change our hearts, that we would learn to walk in gratitude for who you are and for all you've done, Lord. And I'm asking you just to anoint this broken vessel and let the miracle of divine communication take place in this place today. I believe you for all of this. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. As I read the story of these 10 lepers who were healed, there's a question that comes to my mind. In fact, it's a question that even Jesus himself asked. And the question is, where were the other nine lepers? Where were the other nine lepers? I, I, I mean, we know about the 10th leper. We've, we've heard sermons on that and we're talking about him again today. But I've asked myself this morning, where were the other nine? And I don't mean just physically, because we don't know where they went physically. We don't know if they went back home or, or what they did. But where were they mentally? Where were they emotionally? Where were they spiritually? Where were they? Well, first of all, I think they were so wrapped up in what was happening to them that they didn't think about returning to Jesus to give thanks. You know, it's easy in our lives to get so wrapped up in day-to-day -day life and what's going on and what we're doing and what's happening and that it's easy for us to get distracted and forget to go to Jesus and give him great uh, gratitude for what he's done. But secondly, you know, here's the thing. I, knowing what I know about human nature, I think that maybe... They believed that they had finally gotten what they de had deserved from a God who had been unjust to them. Smitten with leprosy, they were struggling with the, with the sense of feeling the injustice of the universe. Because listen, there are very few of us who have ever gone through anything bad, and I mean really bad, in this life, who don't say to themselves, the universe is unjust, that God is unjust, that the world is unjust, who say, life is unfair. Somebody or something has wronged me and somebody ought to pay for what's happening to me. That's the world we live in today. Everybody wants, wants justice. Everybody wants somebody to, to pay them back for what life has done to them. And when that happens, uh, after that, then what happens is when the bad thing is removed, when that burden is lifted, when the miracle comes, when the healing happens, when the restoration comes, then they cannot find gratitude because they believe it's simply God trying to even the score for the unfairness of the situation. I'm finally getting paid back. Here's the thing that I know to be true. And this is something I bring up every year during the Thanksgiving season. You can't really be grateful for receiving what you think you're owed. You can't be grateful for anything to which you feel entitled. That's, that's one of the reasons why we have such an ungrateful uh, 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 culture right now. And that's because we live in a culture of entitlement. Everybody thinks that they deserve something better. And therefore, when something better comes, they don't give thanks for it. Uh, uh, let me illustrate it like this. If, if, if I borrow uh, uh, $10 from, from you, and, uh, and then, and then after I borrow it, I wait 30 years to pay back that money. You know, so I come to you on my 90th birthday and I say, okay, here's that $10 I owe you finally. You know, you don't look at me and say, oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This $10. No, what you do is you say, well, finally, 
Finally, you bring it when it's too late for me to enjoy it. You don't feel grateful for a debt that has been repaid. That, that's the way most people approach most of the blessings uh, in their life most of the time. Uh, there, there was a married couple in their 60s whose son and their daughter-in-law uh, died in a car crash and they were left to raise their nine-year-old grandson. And, and they took that little boy in and they adopted him. They raised him. Well, by the time he was 12, he was wayward. By the time he was 15, he was just like hell on wheels. And, and he was just making these poor old people just absolutely miserable. And they called their pastor and they asked if he would talk with the boy. So he, he said, sure. He went over to the house and he, to, and he met with the boy. He's sitting there. Here he is, is a 15 year old boy, angry, rebellious. And after some conversation with the pastor, the pastor finally said to him, you know, son, I remember when your parents died. I preached that terrible funeral. And I remember you at nine years of age sitting there. And I remember your grandparents sitting there with their arms around you. And the pastor looked at him and he said, son, did it dawn on you that they didn't have to take you in? They'd already done their job. They had already raised their child. They'd already paid their dues. They didn't have to take you in, but they took you in. They gave you everything. They started over in their, in their sixties to try to raise a nine year old boy. Your grandma's got arthritis. Your grandpa's on social security. They did everything they could do. They gave you everything. And that boy looked at that pastor like he was speaking Russian or something. He looked at him like he was crazy, like he was an alien. And he looked at the pastor and he said, don't you think I know that? I know that. But he said, but how long am I supposed to be grateful? He said, am I supposed to spend the rest of my life saying thank you? And the pastor said, yes. Yes, that's exactly it. The deal is that every single one of us is supposed to spend the rest of our lives saying thank you. Paul the Apostle said, I feel like I'm in debt ever since I got saved and I'll never pay it off. He said, I'm in debt to the Jews. I'm in debt to the Gentiles. I'm in debt to God. And every single morning that you wake up, you ought to be grateful for the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Every single morning when you wake up, you ought to be grateful for the breath that you breathe. You ought to be grateful that your heart is still beating. You ought to be grateful that you can get out of bed, even if it hurts to get out of bed. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Somebody, anybody here hurt when you get out of bed? Anybody here when you wake up, you're like, did I go to sleep last night? I really can't tell. But we're, but we're grateful for that. I tell you, though, we, we, we ought to be grateful for every blessing that we have received. But we live in such an ungrateful, rebellious, self-centered world that what happens is you buy a child an ice cream cone and then they end up sulking all day because it didn't have sprinkles on top or because it wasn't a double dip cone or it wasn't the right flavor. You know, you take a kid to Disney World and you spend $5,000. That's just at lunch one day in Disney World. And you spend all that money and then all the way home at midnight, they sulk because you won't stop and buy pizza. There has to come some moment where we say, this was wonderful. This was great. There has to come some moment where we quit thinking about what we deserve or what is ours or what's coming to us or, or what we don't have that we think we ought to have. We ought to be able to say to somebody somewhere, I really appreciate this. I'm really grateful for this. I'm really thankful for you. You know, a few years ago, Dr. Mark Rutland was teaching about leadership to a group of businessmen. And 
I heard him tell the story and he, as he mentioned, uh, during this presentation, he mentioned his habit of trying to write notes of gratitude to the people he was leading. And afterwards, one of the executives of some business came up to him and, and, and he said, well, he said, I'm really enjoying all this. He said, but there's one thing I really, that I just really disagree with you. He said, I never thank my people for a job well done. He said, I only thank them for something extra, something beyond the call of duty, something more. And he looked at Dr. Rutley and he said, if you thank people for a job well done, it sounds like they're doing you a favor. Well, I just think what a puny view of life that you think you have to, have to measure out how many thanks you can give to people. Can I, can I just empower you with something this morning? I want to empower you with a Christian virtue that can change your life. There are so few husbands that really ever thank their wives. Thank you for being married to me. Thank you. For most of us, we, we just need to say thank you for putting up with me. Uh, you know, and, and that's your opportunity, ladies. You can say amen there. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I look at my wife and I think, thank you for marrying me. You could have married somebody good looking. Thank you. You know, you, you could have married somebody rich, but, you know, now you're stuck with this poverty stricken Pentecostal preacher. So thank you. Thank you for loving me. I want to say this now to my wife. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being there. Thank you, when, when you for being there when I need you. Thank you for loving me when, when I didn't, didn't deserve to be loved. Thank you for all the cooking and cleaning. And you can tell, look at me and see there's been plenty of cooking because if you cook it, I'll eat it. That's just the kind of the way it goes. But, but thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do and all that you mean to me. And guys, I just want to empower you. Spend more time just thanking your wife. Because I'm here to tell you that the day may come when you will wish to God that you had a wife like her. To those that are not married yet, to those young men in the room that are not married yet, resolve today that when God brings you your spouse into your life, that you will spend time thanking her. And, and ladies, you know what? So, so many wives spend their emotional energy griping and moaning about stuff that's inconsequential. I heard about a lady who gave a testimony one time. She was speaking to a, a group of ladies, and this is maybe a little bit awkward to share this morning, but it's very moving, so I'm going to share it with you. But she was talking to this ladies group, and she was giving her testimony, and she said, my husband died last year. She said, I, I was like so many of you. I used to tell him every day, two or three times a day, please don't leave the toilet seat up. And, and she said, it just grated on me. It was my pet peeve. It just ground on me. And every time I go to the bathroom, I'd come back out and say, can't you put the toilet seat down? What's the matter with you? She said, how many of you ladies have ever griped at your husband about that? And there were many in the room that raised their hand about that. And then she said, with tears streaming down her face, dear God, I wish there was somebody in my house to leave the toilet seat up. You know, we can get so blinded with our own self-interest and our own ingratitude that we lose track of what we have. You know, God supplies a car and we gripe because we want a better one. God supplies us with the ability to move and walk without having to get up every morning and struggle to get into a wheelchair and we gripe and moan because our feet hurt. 
We, we lose track of God's blessings. Uh, and listen, I'm not trying to lay guilt on anybody here. I'm not, I'm not trying to do what our parents did. You know what our parents did when we were kids growing up? They'd say, eat your, eat your food. There are kids starving in India. <laughs> you know? And I always thought to myself, well, they can have it. Just give, you know, send it to them. Uh, but, uh, it won't do any good. It'll be no good by the time it's there. So why does it matter if I eat it or not? But, but that's the way I would think it. But, uh, uh, but, and so I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you, but, but here's what, what it does. Uh, when we when we think this way, it frames the, the life issue. It, it doesn't mean that we have to live in guilt because we have food to eat and there are other people who don't. That's not what the whole idea behind that means. But it does mean we ought to live in gratitude because we do have food to eat. In in nineteen excuse me eighteen eighty eight, a Methodist preacher was invited to speak at Bedlam. And if you don't know what Bedlam was, Bedlam was a, uh, an absolutely reprehensible mili- uh, men- mental asylum in London, in England. It was so horrible in its treatment of, in, of the insane that, the, that its name, Bedlam, actually entered the, vo- the English vocabulary as a word to describe a scene of uproar and confusion, a place of pandemonium and chaos. Uh, that, that word Bedlam actually came from the name of that insane, insane asylum that was just criminal in the way it treated the insane. Well, this Methodist preacher went there to preach, and, and as he walked in the front door, one of the inmates uh, thrust his head through the bars and screamed down at him, Have you thanked God today? And the preacher said, Well, yes, I have. And the man said, Yes, but, you have, but have you thanked him for your sanity? Well, that just frames it right there. Have you, have you thanked him? For the little things. Have you thanked him for your breath? Have you thanked him for another day to live? Have you thanked him for your family? You know, a, a young person, those that are young in this place, listen, you may, you may think your mom or your dad is a real pain, and, and probably sometimes they are. You know, and, and you spend your energy griping and complaining and moaning because your parents just don't understand. They just don't get you. But, but let me ask you this. Have you ever thanked God for the fact that you have a mother or a father. There are plenty of people in the world and in this church who are parentless, who are brotherless, who are sisterless. They're alone in this world. Have you thanked him for your family? Frankly, I'm, I'm shocked at the level of disloyalty that I hear coming from people, both young and old, when they talk about their family. I hear it from all generations, but it seems to me as if it's becoming pandemic among the young people of our country uh, let, let me just talk to some of you from the younger generation. I hear, you know, many young people talk about their parents. They'll say they don't use these words, but I'm going to use the vocabulary I know because I'm old. Uh, but they say things like my family is weird. My my dad's a pain. My mother's a real head case. Uh, uh, but here's what I know. Not all of you have all these weird relatives. I know better than that. Uh, but 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 I feel it's it's not only disloyal, but I feel it's 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 ungrateful. For the, for the parents, the grandparents that you do have. But I want to say this, young people, you can be a part of breaking that pattern. If there's been a pattern of, of ingratitude throughout the generations of your family, you can be a part of breaking that. And I urge you to, to when you go home today, would you, would you do this? Would you go up, and this may freak him out, uh, but go up to your daddy, hug your daddy, and just say, I'm so grateful for you. Take your mom in, in, in your arms and tell her, I'm so grateful for you. 
and, 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 and like I said, it may freak them out. And it may, if they're here today, it may seem a little even more awkward to, but to you to, but do it anyway, because every time you get, you, you get to thinking that you're really something and you're really proud. And yet you have to remember that, that your mama changed your diapers when nobody else wanted to touch you. <laughs> nobody else even wanted to be around you because you stung so bad. Your mama changed your diapers. You drew your first nutrients from your mama's body. That's a humbling thought, isn't it? But you live because she lives and gave birth to you. And, and, and some of you say, well, not me. I'm adopted. Well, listen, if you're adopted, you should be all the more grateful. You should be all the more grateful because for the rest of the people in the room, it was a luck of the draw. And I have to say that for some of us, we look at our families and we don't better not buy a lottery ticket. You know what I'm saying? So, but, but you, not you, you are chosen. You should be the most grateful one of all. There, there ought to come a moment over the Thanksgiving holiday where you sit down on the couch by your dad and you say, how have I told you how much I admire you? And listen, I don't care if you're a teenager or you're a full grown adult, you still need to do this. This Thanksgiving, you need to sit down next to your dad and you need to say, have I ever told you how much I admire you? Have I ever said to you, you're my hero that I want to be like you? Have I ever told you how grateful I am for all the money you poured into my life because I never realized how much stuff costs. And now I know, and I know that I cost a lot. I want to pay off some of that by with my life. Thank you for, for your investment in me. There ought to come a moment during the th this Thanksgiving holiday that we as parents sit down with our children and we tell them how thankful we are for them. Now, you know, most of you know that Julie and I didn't have children until after we'd been married for 12 years. That wasn't by choice. We, we had reached the conclusion that we weren't going to have any children, that it just wasn't part of God's plan for us. And we were okay with that. I told Julie multiple times, if, if I spend the rest of my life with, it's just you and me, I, I, I'm perfectly satisfied with that. I love that. That's no problem. But then I remember the day when we, when I, when I found out that Aaron was on her way. And uh, I remember I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. And, and I, I remember saying, are you serious? Are you joking? Are you serious? And she was saying yes to, are you serious? But she said it after I said, are you joking? And so I was trying to figure out if the yes was which one it goes. But I was so excited. I was unbelievable thank, th unbelievably thankful. I remember when Aaron came as our firstborn and in the delivery room. And, and I got to be the first one to hold her. And I remember talking to her and saying, I can't believe you're finally here. How grateful I was for that moment after waiting all those years. Then I remember sitting at my computer, working on something at the house one time when she was about a year old and she came in and she wanted up to sit on my lap. And so I took her up in my arms and we sat there together. I just put whatever I was doing on the, on the hold and I just sat back and held her on my lap the little one-year-old child before my youngest daughter was ever born. And after a little while, there's that moment that came and every parent here knows what I'm talking about where she just sort of laid her head down on my chest and sort of just melted into me. You know what I'm talking about? And I sat there in that moment and tears began to flow down my cheeks because it dawned on me that, that I never thought I would have a moment like that. That I, I had given that idea up. We thought that we were gonna have, weren't going to have children. And, and in that moment, I began to quietly sit there and thank God for this simple little daddy-daughter moment. 
And, I, and over the years, I've tried to guard that and, and not take for granted those moments with my daughters. You know, when I, when I let my mind linger over the past 21 years of fatherhood, it's hard to believe that I've been a dad for, for over 21 years now. That's one of the great things about that is you know exactly how long you've been a father because you just got to know how old your oldest is, you know. But, but I think about all those things and I can't help but tear up as I think about the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hugs and kisses from my little girls that I never thought I'd have. I think about the hundreds upon hundreds of good night daddies of I love you, daddy. And with, with, uh, with one of them, with the I love you more, times two, times six, at t- plus one, whatever you say. All those moments. And, and, and I never expected I'd get any of them. And my heart wells up in gratitude toward, a, toward God for the precious gift of our two daughters. Well, you know what? They need to hear from me how grateful I am for them. There ought to come a moment during this Thanksgiving holiday where you, you speak to your brother or your sister. Maybe you have to call them on the phone, but you talk to them in a way of exposed candidates that will shock them. And, and you say, you know, you know, I, I've realized that you're really a great person and I'm grateful for you. Thanks for being my brother. Thanks for being my sister. And I'm here to tell you, if your siblings are anything like mine, they'll probably blow it off and make a smart aleck remark about that, about, you know, whatever is going on in your life. But I'm telling you this. Deep down in their heart, it will mean a lot to them because people like to feel that somebody is grateful not only to them, but they're also grateful for them. Gratitude is a life virtue that brings sweetness to life. Gratitude arises from the humility of knowing that whatever blessings I enjoy, even the breath that I breathe, is not what I deserve. Every good thing in my life, not one of those things came to me because I deserved it. If it, The truth is, if I get what I deserve, I'm going to hell this very moment. If I get what I deserve, I'm going to drop straight into the flames. I hear people say, maybe you've heard it too, people say all the times, I just want what's coming to me. Not me. Not me, because I know what I've got coming to me, and I don't want that. But what was coming to me went to Jesus and what Jesus deserved came to me. By his stripes, I'm healed. By his blood, I'm I'm cleansed. I know what's coming to him. That's grace. That's heaven. That's my glorified body. You see, there's this strange paradox in this. Some of the people I've known in life that are the most battered by life, it just seems to be as if their life was was an ongoing war, have been some of the most grateful people I've ever known. Maybe it just crushed them to a level of brokenness where they can respond with gratitude. But I have known people that were infirm, that were, that were crippled, that were stricken, that were in trouble with, in pain in, in their whole life. And yet their lives are filled with joy. They seem happy. And on the other hand, I've seen, I've known gifted and privileged people in my life, people who were athletically gifted. Have you ever known those people that are just so athletically gifted that it just kind of makes you sick? They can dunk a basketball while they're eating a donut, you know, at the same time, things like that. I, you know, or maybe 
people that have, have musical talent just oozing out of every pore of their being or, or people that who have enough money to think about this. <laughs> People who have enough money to do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it. That's just something that's beyond my comprehension. I don't understand that. Uh, but those, those, I've known people like that who just live in cantankerous, rebellious self-pity, just griping and moaning all the time. But there has to be some sense in which we take stock of our lives and we recognize the healing, transforming, transforming work that Jesus has done in us. And then, like the one leper, we turn back and we glorify God. Let, let the others sulk if they want to. Let the others wallow in self-pity. Let the others turn in on themselves. Let the others say, well, I just got what I deserved anyway. Let the others walk without gratitude. Without gratitude. Let the others say, well, the universe has just finally paid off. But let us be grateful for people. Let us be grateful to people. Let us be grateful to God. Let, let, let me conclude with a, a, a passage of scripture that I want you to see and, and then we'll be done, this simple message. But turn to the book of Proverbs, if you will, the 30th chapter, beginning with verse 15. Very interesting little proverb. And of course, Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. This is what it says. The leech has two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Indeed, four things never say it is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that never says it is enough. What are we talking about? Fire demands more fuel or it will go out. A parched earth longs for more water, more water, more water. The barren womb longs to be filled with a child. The, the grave yawns wide for more souls, more souls, more souls. See, there is a spirit that is the spirit of the leech. And that's, that's not a, a formal name, but that's what we call it. And it fastens itself onto the ankle of life and it just sucks the blood out and it is never satisfied. It's those who walk in the spirit who say it is never enough. Have you ever known somebody that no matter what you did for them, it's never enough? Any, anybody know anybody like that? That's what this is talking about. That's that spirit of a leech that says, I deserve more. I'm entitled to more. And therefore, they're never grateful for what they receive. And they always believe there's something else that they, that they should be receiving. I want to tell you a story I heard a while back about a man who went into a restaurant to eat. When he got there, uh, there, there was this uh, youth basketball team, uh, you know, sixth or, uh, sixth or seventh grade age, somewhere in there. And they were in the back of the restaurant. They had a little separate room there. They were in the back of the restaurant there and they, and the coach had taken them to play in some tournament somewhere. And afterwards they went to a little restaurant in the area and they were in the back of the restaurant having their, their little party to celebrate the tournament. And it, it just, you know, when you got a bunch of little kids that age, it just got rowdier and rowdier. You know what I'm talking about? And, and finally, after a while, the coach just stood up. And he, and he, he just said, you know what? I, I want to tell you something. This is almost not worth it. And the man who was there at the restaurant visiting, he realized what was going on because as he paid attention, 
here, here were these people who had taken time to work with these kids, to teach them to, to how to play. And they had taken time out of the schedule to take them to this tournament. They had watched over them and it had then taken them out after this tournament to eat. And, and what happened was some of them got hamburgers and they complained because they didn't get a chocolate sundae. And some of them got French fries and they complained because they didn't get onion rings. You know, and we, we've got this, we, we've created a whole culture that feeds on being satisfied and we think it gives us power. We, we love the moment of sending it back and saying, this is not done properly. Don't serve this to the king, you know. But as this man was, he watched this all play out. And then as he was leaving the restaurant, he, he saw this large woman in the lobby. It looked like she was about 70 years old or so. And she was walking there and she was holding the hand of a little, little tiny child, about maybe three years of age. And in the lobby of that restaurant, there was one of those giant gumball machines. Have you seen those? The ones with the, with the massive gumballs? You know what I'm talking about? You've seen those really, really big gumballs. And, and, you know, and, 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 and so this child, he saw it and he said, Let, let's do the machine, grandma. Let's do the machine. So she fished around in her purse and, you know, pulled out every kind of thing you can imagine that was in the purse. And finally she found the proper coins, put them in the slot. And out rolled this giant gumball. And that grandma, she, she pulled that out and, and uh, out of the machine and was standing there holding it. And then the little three-year-old, says, he, he said, can I have the whole thing? Can I have the whole thing? And she said, open your mouth. And, and she could hardly get that little tiny, he could hardly get his little tiny mouth around the gumball, but she pushed it in there, popped it in there, and he's holding this big, giant, yellow gumball in his mouth, just as full as can be, and he said, Thank you, Grandma! Thank you, Grandma! And that man wanted to just go inside and get that little league basketball team and drag them out by the ear and say, That's the way it's supposed to be. There just has to be some moment where to heaven, to Jesus, to, to each other, to those who serve us, to our parents, to our grandparents, where we just say, thank you, Grandma. Just has to happen. That makes your life worth living. And you know what? It's the payoff for somebody else. It's a payoff for somebody else. So don't allow yourself to face that terrible moment where the call comes and your mother's voice is weeping on the other end and she says, Daddy's gone. And then you wonder to yourself, did I ever tell him thank you? Don't let that moment come. Take some time to give thanks to God for all of the many blessings and, and take some time and think about those blessings and realize they all came from Him. And take some time to give thanks to those you love, those that have invested in your life, whether it's financially, spiritually, through encouragement, whether they're parents, spiritual parents, friends, whoever they are, brothers, sisters, take some time to give thanks. Give thanks to God for them, but also tell them that you're thankful for them. It'll change, it'll change their life, it'll change your life, and it will make Thanksgiving take on a whole new level of meaning for you. So take some time to give thanks to God and to those you love. Let's pray together. Father, 
I know this is a simple message, but God, this is not about the complexity of a message that makes it meaningful. I just pray, God, that somehow today, Lord, we would, we would take stock of our lives. We would think about the blessings you've given to us. We would think about the blessing that other people have been to us. And God, that we would take that moment like that little boy and just say, thank you, Grandma that we would be grateful for your blessings, that we go to those around us whom you have blessed us with and you have blessed us through them. And and God, we would just say thank you. Thank you for being there when I needed you. Thank you for helping me through that hard time. Thank you for for holding my hand when when all I needed was somebody to be there and and words weren't, weren't, weren't helpful. Thank you for walking with me in the times when I didn't deserve to be walked with. And God, that we would just take stock and realize how blessed we are. And and God, this is not to make us feel guilty that others don't have it, but God, to look at our lives and say, all of this, all of this goodness, all of this, the the, the wonderful things of this life, they're, they're given to me by God. And it's your grace. And so God, most of all, We want to say thank you to you because you gave us all of these things. And it's really just a precursor. It's a a shadow of the great blessings that that are coming our way when we finally stand in your presence with complete joy and perfect peace. So God, we just say thank you, not only for what you have done, but God, we also thank you for what you will do. And we thank you, God, that we live with hope. Like There's so many in this world that have no hope. But God, we have hope. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.